Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I stink so bad, I make myself gag. I'm Joey Gentili. And who do I have to sleep with around here to get a stoli martini with a twist of lemon? I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is this week's episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is the class of 2013. Oh, my God. Okay, so I really thought we might have had to do another take there because English is not either of our fortes today, clearly. Right. So what the listeners didn't hear was that was our third take doing the opening because we both fucked up on a take. Take one, take two, take three. Here we go. Um, well, first of all, what a year. Can we just say that? This is... 2013, I feel, is like... I don't know, for some reason, me personally, like, the Oscars took a shift to the decade. Does it, like... Oh, you think this is a bad year? No. I mean, the, the women are great. The men are if, iffy, which we'll get to next season on this year. But I don't know. Like, for some of these, like, I just feel with the films they nominated, it's like half of them were really good films and half of them were just bad. Mm. Yeah, well, like, the men no... being iffy is a common theme, I feel, in Academy history. Uh, but yeah, some of these movies are a little lackluster, but I think some good performances did come out of them. Yeah. I will say, despite all the bullshit from Ellen DeGeneres, I really enjoyed her hosting this year. thought it was a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I thought she did really good here. And of course, this was the year that she brought the pizza guy on stage and took the infamous selfie. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was definitely a step up. Well, I guess the next year following was Neil Patrick Harris. That was a step down. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this ceremony as a whole. So it was, it's just, it's such a weird because you look at like 2012 and I think you and I are in agreement that 2012 was like one of the best years of the decade because of like the films are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I don't know, this one just felt very odd. It was like, like I said, I think half of the films were good and then half of them were bad. And one of them is what I think one of the worst Oscar nominated films of all time, which we'll get to shortly. But um yeah, it's quite an interesting year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, of course, too, we've, I've been talking about, you know, in preseason, um, I've got a lot of uh, tea on August Osage County. This was actually the year that I met my late friend, Misty Upham, who star, who was a co-star in uh, AOC as uh, um, Joanna, the uh, personal helper to Meryl Streep's character. Um, so I've got some info on this uh, campaign that is going to throw, throw. I, I mean, throw people for a loop. I don't know if so much you, but um, I don't know. I could be wrong. I've, I, I've got a lot of info to get to, so it'll be fun to finally talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've been teasing this on our Twitter for yeah. a while. And uh, yeah, you don't even know about it. I haven't even told you, so you'll be hearing it for, for the first time as well. No, I just know that the tea exists. I have not sipped it. Uh-huh. But I'm I'm waiting. Yeah, there will be a um, for legal reasons. I'm not kidding. I will have to use allegedly for a lot of this. So uh, just you know, 
allegedly the shit went down. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay. So uh, shall we get to it? Okay. All right. So 2013 is an odd year. So I have the ladies who are supporting. Your nominees for Best Supporting Actress were... Sally Hawkins, Blue Jasmine. Jennifer Lawrence, American Hustle. Lupita Nyong'o, 12 Years a Slave. Julia Roberts, August Osage County. June Squibb, Nebraska. All right, let's start this year with Sally Hawkins as Ginger in Blue Jasmine. This is our first of two nominations. And going into Oscar night, she only has a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress. In Blue Jasmine, again, Sally plays Ginger, who is the sister to the Cape Blanchett role, who somehow can afford an apartment in San Francisco being a single mom working at a grocery store. Makes no sense to me. Um, but she and she is the emotional support that needs her own support to the... Uh, Jasmine character and in a way kind of has her own little breakdown um, she's lost money through Jasmine's husband who stole from them and uh, yeah it's a uh, it's a pretty interesting therapy character who needs their own therapy so Brandon what do you think about Sally Hawkins as Ginger and Blue Jasmine so uh, Sally Hawkins is one of those actors who I feel doesn't get utilized as often as she should um, thankfully there's directors like you know Woody Allen here and then um, Del Toro and Mike Lee who understand uh, what she's capable of and know that she's a talented performer uh, who deserves really rich characters to really dig into and create these very interesting uh, portraits of the human condition. Uh, here in Blue Jasmine, um, I think Sally Hawkins is doing perfectly fine. She's not exactly the one you're always paying attention to. Uh, I feel like she's a character who's um, getting upstaged often and that's not necessarily Hawkins fault I think that's just the nature of this character but she does manage to stand out in a way um, it's a character who I feel you have various feelings on I think you pity her at times um, for the situation that she's in um, compared to the situation her sister was formerly in uh, back when Jasmine was very wealthy and a big deal in the New York rich people scene but uh, you also kind of feel bad for her at times with her marital situation and uh, all that. But uh, Sally Hawkins, I think, paints a pretty decent portrait here of a woman caught in a really difficult situation, you know, working this pretty crappy job, uh, trying to make ends meet and um, hoping for the best and almost getting it when um, her brother-in-law uh, tries to take their lottery winnings and invest it and um, it ends up not working out for them. Uh, she's not quite as knowledgeable in the finance world um, and that's no diss to her. I mean, I wouldn't be either. Uh, she puts all her trust in this guy who basically squanders all their money. I don't remember how much it was, but it was a pretty substantial sum that could have really helped them out and um, she's in a real tough situation. I think it's a character you feel for a lot of the time. And uh, Sally Hawkins, I think, manages to really elevate a character who otherwise could have just blended into the background and truly been a side character in someone else's star vehicle. So um, it's not Sally Hawkins' greatest turn, and I think a lot of it has to do with the character itself and the writing of it, but I think she does an admirable job with uh, what she has to work with here. Yeah, so 
at the time of the ceremony, I really, really hated this nomination. I thought it was just such a wasted space of a nomination because I was very much on the Oprah Winfrey train for the butler that year. Um, two notes into that. I'm glad that I revisited this. Obviously, I wanted to because it was I only had seen it once. And I got to really understand the character a little bit more in a non-biased scenario because I remember seeing this movie after she got nominated being really pissed that Oprah didn't make it. And then plus two, looking at the butler now, like Oprah played a lead role. There's she shouldn't have been in supporting at all this this um season. But that's a whole other discussion. So like going into Ginger, I was really and plus two almost ten years later. Um, I was really able to understand the pain that she goes through a lot better, which I'm glad that I did because um, this isn't a throwaway nomination. She's actually really good here. Um, the thing is, is that I think you're right. Like she's vulnerable and she uh, she's good. She, you know, she is utilized to the best of her extent in the character. But with that said, there isn't much for her to do do um i mean even her all, i remember like her clips whether it be at the oscar well she didn't have any clips of the golden globe so yeah her oscar clip was the whole like um the couch scene where augie's next to her and she's like you know talking about jasmine's husband and yada 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 so it's like that was the one specific moment that i remember being the highlight for her again though but the only ceremony she had where she had the clip was that um, but I mean, that's the moment that everyone kind of goes to when you think of Sally Hawkins in Blue Jasmine. Now we'll obviously get to her eventually in The Shape of Water, and she was, or she had scenes that were used all throughout the season, throughout the whole movie. But unlike Shape of Water, like I said, there's really only that one moment where you could be like, "Yep, there it is." Um, it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting nomination. I like I said, I don't think she's bad. I think she's a lot better than what I thought she used to be. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm very middle of the road here with this one. Yeah, I think she manages to take a character who very easily could have been a nonstop pity train mm-hmm. and created a very well-rounded, believable person out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, another actress could have just blended into the background and another one could have just been weepy the entire time and just had this energy of sorrow and whatever but i think sally hawkins finds different levels um in order to bring ginger to life so Mm -hmm. um i think it's definitely a performance that is worthy of recognition that often gets forgotten because of who she's sharing a lot of her scenes with whether it's um kate blanchett who we'll get to in a little bit or uh bobby cannavale who plays her sort of boyfriend thing Mm -hmm. um so uh it's easy to overlook Ginger. And I think that's also part of the nature of this character. Ginger is someone who is frequently overlooked just in life. So I think Sally Hawkins takes that and makes it work for her while still managing to stand out just enough so that you never really forget that she's there, even when someone else is hawking the spotlight. Hawkins hawking the spotlight. I see what you did there. I don't even know if that was on purpose or not, but kudos. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. So um, we don't have any specific questions towards Hawkins, but I do want to bring this one up because I think this is, you know, I had talked about Oprah a little bit, and I think Hawkins is the one who people do say if Oprah was going to be nominated, took her spot. So with that said, from Tim, uh, Tim Bruns, Theories as to why Oprah missed out for the butler, despite BAFTA, SAG, 
and Critics' Choice nominations? You know, I'm not really certain. Um, the last time I watched The Butler was back during this award season, so um, the performance itself is not exactly fresh in my mind. Um, I remember her being campaigned and supporting. I don't remember if there was confusion or discussion back then about that placement. I wasn't really paying attention to the actual like award scene back then like mm -hmm. I do more so now. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it was one of those cases where uh, people assumed she was a lock. So when making their nominations, people voted elsewhere in order to try to build up someone who might get forgotten. And then somehow she fell through the cracks. I've heard of that as a theory for other uh, supposed shoe-in nominees who somehow missed out. So um, yeah, I'm really not sure. I remember this ceremony or this um, season very vividly. Um, Oprah was considered the lock for supporting. There was no one who was going to beat her. And then 12 Years a Slave opened and Lupita Nyong'o took a lot of that, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, and then it was once she missed out on Golden Globe, it's just kind of like, I remember everything just being a hope and a dream possibly for Oprah. Um, I do think that she should have been nominated again, though, in lead. She's not the supporting character here at all. Um, she's throughout the entire film of the Butler, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really understand this theory other than maybe the love of, Kate Blanchett really because remember Hawkins only got the gold the globe nomination there so I think the love of you know she rode the Kate Blanchett train and bumped Oprah that's the only thing I can think of well that and it's also to keep uh good to keep in mind how much the academy loves Woody Allen and yeah his ladies tend to get nominated pretty frequently so yeah. um I think that's another um good factor to keep in mind here yeah all right, moving on, we have Brandon in 40 Years, Miss June Squibb as Kate Grant in Nebraska. This is her sole nomination thus far and probably in her career. Tent, tent. Mm -hmm. um, Golden Globe Critics' Choice, Spirit Awards, LA Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and SAG, all nominations for supporting. In Nebraska, again, June plays Kate who is just a little sass bucket. Um, she loves to tell it how it is. She gives no fucks and she will put you in your place so quick. So Brandon, what do you think about yourself in 40 years? What a whore. <laughs> that line kills me every time. I think I, I don't think I saw Nebraska prior to the ceremony when I, when the Oscars happened, I think it was one of those movies that I didn't catch until just after so I didn't really know anything about the performance or the movie itself. But I, I remember that being like her Oscar clip when they're in the ceremony or they're in the cemetery and um, they're just going to all the different headstones and she's just gossiping and talking shit about all the dead people. And she gets to what's her name's headstone and she says the name and just goes, oh, God, what a whore. And I thought that was the funniest shit. I don't even think I heard the rest of the nominees being called. Uh, I think she's great here. Uh, June Squibb in Nebraska reminds me of so many of the old women I know from back home. Like, um, I'm originally from the western half, the western side of Ohio, which is Corn. much much more rural. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of the people in the movie Nebraska remind me of the people that I grew up being around, a lot of the people that I'm related to. 
And uh, June Squibb, I think, really nails this character. This older woman who is full of opinions and doesn't really care uh, about filtering them or hiding them because she's so old, what's anyone going to do about it? And um, But that being said, I have a feeling this character was always that way. She's just now using her age as uh, a, a, a reason for not having an excuse, perhaps, or people are less likely to stand up to her because of it. But um, mm -hmm. I think she's really funny here. Um, she's not always mean with her opinions, which I think is really helpful. Uh, like there's that scene where her kids steal the, what is it, like a power washer or something from the, the farm that uh, they think stole it from their father, but it's the wrong farm and she just lets it happen. And it's not until they're down the road where they realize it's the wrong family they stole it from. And they mm. ask their mom, oh, what's, okay, what's wrong with them? Why should we not feel bad for stealing their power washer or whatever it is? And she goes on about how, oh, they're so nice. They're the greatest couple. They lost a child very early on. And the look on her son's faces as they realize they just took this very expensive thing from this family that's been through so much shit over the last few decades is hilarious. And June Squibb's delivery, her earnest delivery of this very heartfelt story is hilarious. Uh, I think she's a really great firecracker in this movie. Um, she comes in at just the right times and uh, really elevates the humor. Um, Nebraska, I think, is funny throughout, but in a very sort of low-key way. But when June Squibb comes in, uh, you're actually laughing out loud at a lot of the, the moments. And her opinions have a lot to do with that. Um, the scene in the, the karaoke diner thing where Bruce Dern can't decide what to eat and she's giving him so much shit over this very trivial decision and then ends up just ordering for him is straight up my grandparents every Friday. Like June Squibb knows this woman and she knows these people. And I think she tapped into something really honest in this movie while also uh, being hilarious as hell. So um, I think this is a really wonderful nomination for June Squibb. You know, it's funny because, like, the more that I hear you talk about it and then, like, the more that I think about how I, like, introduced the character of the show, like, not even you in 40 years. Like, I always say all the time my favorite Brandon is Shady Brandon because people who don't, like, here's the thing, and I'm going to be honest. Like, when you first meet you, you're very, I don't want to say timid, but you don't open up easy. You know what I mean? Like, I think it took mm -hmm. us... You know, even with me, like, it definitely took a couple times for us to get together to where, like, you know, we can bullshit back and forth and, and just shade each other like we're playing uh, live Pong. But it's like, this is you now. Like, mm -hmm. th and that's what I mean. Like, that is my favorite, Brandon, because this is 100% how you are when, like, <laughs> like, like, just now at, what, 28, 29 years old? Like, God, when we went to Fatheads, you, me, and Seth, like, that was... <laughs> That was you two at the diner, but just not as intense. Like, it's perfect. Um, I, I, You know, it's funny. Like, little side note here, because I, I brought it up um, before. I This was another film that I had auditioned for in L.A. that I didn't get, obviously, um, which was the, the twin cousins, Cole and Bart. Mm -hmm. I remember I went into that audition. They're like, you're going to play, like... I remember th they told you, they were like, um, you're going to play... Uh, uh, like hillbilly characters. So I didn't shower for like a week and I wore like raggedy clothes to be all method, not even though I'm not a method actor. 
And I go in and I read it and they're just like, I don't know, you're just doing like this LA thing. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but whatever. So side note, little fun fact. Now, regarding this role here, um, June Squibb, I think is really funny. I think she, she knows who this character is. She knows what she wants to do with it. But I think it becomes like, uh, not so much a shtick, but she, she uh, and I don't know if this is genuinely her fault or if it's just the way that Payne wrote the character, or I'm sorry, Bob Nelson wrote the character, but um, it almost just feels like a crutch at a certain moment. Like, it's like, okay, what else can you do? You're being a little, a little sassy old lady, show me more. I think that's my biggest, like, what else moment for this role, because I think you're right. I think, you know, she, she really is head honcho when it comes to her and Woody. And she really, you know, is that old saying that the man might quote unquote be the head of the house, but the woman is the neck and can turn the head any way she wants. You know, she really is the head. She is the neck. She is the whole body. And Woody is just on her shoulder for the ride. So it's like, after a while, I'm like, okay, what else can she do? You know, it's funny because, I what is it, in the beginning, she's there for a moment, and then she doesn't show up for, like, 45 minutes, in the, in, like or maybe even an hour into the movie, and then it's just all her. But when it's all her, like I said, you're just getting this, like, steamroll of sassy grandma. So I don't know, like, I like it, but I just want something more from her. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it gets old pretty quick. Okay. It never really gets old for me for some reason. Maybe it's just because I see people that I know when I watch this character. Yeah, that too. I also think it's really, it's really uh, smart um, in this movie how they establish uh, how multiple people in this movie are intimidated by her. Like even before she arrives, um, I think she like takes a bus to meet them at the their family's, their cousin's place. Yeah, and they're talking about her leading up to it. And a lot of people are um, expressing hesitation or whatever you want to call it at her arriving because she is so big. Uh, she mm-hmm. kind of takes a, a lot of the air out of the room. So I think that really helps um, establish uh, exactly the presence that she has. And um, it allows you to go along with her um, one-liners and ja- uh, jabs and uh, understand that this is sort of her role within not only the household, but within the family. She's also in a way sort of a, not really a pariah, but she's not exactly well liked by everyone. And um, I think June Squibb does a pretty good job of showing you exactly why she is not well liked with mm-hmm. by everyone in this family. So um, I think this is a very smartly constructed character and it's um, performed very well by Gene Squibb. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Nebraska also, too, like, isn't a film that I just am like, oh, I want to watch this again. Like, I will give her credit. Like, this is, if I watch it, it's for Gene Squibb. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's just something missing here. I don't know. For me, I think, just talking about the movie in general, it's Will Forte. I know he was being campaigned. I remember him sort of like on the fringes of getting supporting actor talk. But for some reason, he's always a letdown for me whenever I watch this movie. I never really believe him for some reason. So I feel like he is uh, bringing the movie down in a way. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, I remember because when I uh, when I walked into John Jackson's casting office for this film too, it was when I believe Jack Nicholson was supposed to be 
attached to this at one point. Mm-hmm. So it was it was cool because Will's I remember Will's headshot being on the wall with like um oh, fuck what's his name from uh Forty Year Old Virgin. Steve Carell. Steve, yeah, like Steve Carell's headshot was there. Will's headshot was there. I remember Bill Hader's headshot being there. Like they were, it was so cool to see like the process of it behind the scenes about, you know, and then what ended up being. So I find it interesting that Will Forte, because I mean, you think about Will's a, Will's a comedian. So it was kind of cool in the long run to see him do this semi-dramatic role and, you know, good for him. I don't know where I would place him mm-hmm. to be honest. That's right. that, that'll be a, that'll be a discussion for when we get to the guys next season. But uh, yeah, I, I've, you know, I think June Squibb in the long run is the only reason for me to come back to this, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. So, um, moving on to Jennifer Lawrence as Rosalind Rosenfield in American Hustle. This is her third of four nominations. Yeah, uh, going into this, somehow she is a huge threat to win. She wins the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics Association. She wins SAG for cast. But she's nominated at SAC for supporting, at the Critics' Choice for supporting. And in American Hustle, uh, she plays a a woman who likes the smell of some funky nail polish, sets some shit on fire, and makes out with Amy Adams in the bathroom. Listen, guys, every it seems that this year was like the... I, I have a film every year that I just don't get how it makes it to Oscar stage. And we've reached this one. Uh, Brandon, start this off. So American Hustle as a movie um, is a is one that I've seen, I want to say, three times. I saw it back during its awards run and did not really care for it. About a year later, after it had no longer you know, been fresh in my mind anymore, I decided to give it another shot. And it still didn't really work for me. And then I rewatched it for this, and it still doesn't really work for me. This movie just, I don't know, it just doesn't do anything for me. But what I do like about it are some of the performances in it. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, I know, receives a lot of flack for this, uh, mostly just due to the casting of it. She's way too young to be playing this role. And... um, she should definitely, you know, not be in it for probably that reason alone. It's kind of distracting seeing this person who's in her, you know, low twenties play someone who should probably be about 10 years older. Uh, but she as a performer, I think is pretty funny in this movie. Um, like the whole science oven thing where they're gifted the microwave and, uh, the Christian Bale character tells her, don't put metal in it. And then he leaves and she's like, well, I don't give a shit. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. And she puts, you know, metal in the science oven and everything catches on fire. And she has this look of, oh, my God, no one told me about this. She's so delusional. And I think she plays into it really well, like in that follow up scene where she's talking about how dangerous the microwave is and how they never should have had it in their house in the first place. And thank God for her because she was there to save the day, completely skipping over the part where she caused the fire in the first place. Um, so I think those moments are pretty funny. I think Jennifer Lawrence has a very strong sense of delivery in those moments. Um, then there's, you know, I think it's her very last moment in the movie where they show her with like the neck brace having gotten into a car accident that she claims was not at all her fault. 
when we know based on everything we've seen up to that moment that it was absolutely her fault. She's just, you know, so self-centered and too delusional to see otherwise. Um, but at the end of the day, she still shouldn't be playing this part. She doesn't feel quite right for it. Uh, it feels very miscast. Um, a lot of it having to do with age and, um, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, is a talented performer. So she's doing what she can with the material and delivering these pretty funny moments in this movie that I'm otherwise frequently bored with. Uh, so kudos to her in that department, but it's on the whole, just very odd to me that she is the one playing this part. So there are, are two movies in my life that I've ever walked out on. The Nice Guys and this. And I've never gone back to see it because either one because they are just so fucking horrible. Um, I remember going to, this was the first movie I had seen at Ridge Park Square when they were doing um, the remodeling. So this was the first movie I ever saw with like the fancy leather moving couches in theaters, if you guys have those in your theaters now. Um, and I was very excited to see this based off of my love of Silver Linings Playbook. And I was like, this is going to be great. This is amazing. And I regretted this decision of seeing this movie about 20 minutes into it because it was just a fucking mess. This is my Roma of 2013. Be, like, there is no plot to this movie. Like, literally, can anyone to this day tell me what the plot to this movie is? And I know I'm not the only one who thinks that because that's a huge criticism this movie gets even to this day. Like, it's just a bunch of shit put together. Like, they just got together and were like, we're going to film this and then film this and then put it, you know, try to edit it in. Number one. Number two, the fact that Jennifer Lawrence was the biggest competition, one of the two biggest competitions in this category like i don't understand what these bodies of awards people were thinking because she is fucking awful in this this is jennifer lawrence's worst nomination i think um she she's too young for this role way too young for this role it doesn't it isn't believable whatsoever she i think is too young for this role to maturely handle on a mental level what Rosalind was supposed to be doing. And what I mean by that, I mean, yeah, you look at like the, the crazy magic oven scene. She's just like babbling and going like kind of quote unquote crazy. Like, I think that you, you needed an actress who understood that time frame when microwaves actually became a thing to like, I don't know, put more oomph into it. I just, I don't know. I don't understand David O. Russell or what he was doing here. Um, I also, I stand by this fact too. Poor Jeremy Renner, when you were the best actor in this ensemble, giving the best performance, and that's what I mean by that, and you don't get shit, I would have been fucking livid. The fact that Jeremy Renner is the only one who deserved an acting nomination from this movie and didn't get squat, like, I would have been pissed. Um, he's the best thing about it, and I'll, and I'll die on that hill. Um, Lawrence here is just so over the top. She's so not good um, she is just all over the place, and I just, I just cannot fathom how she was one of the top two for this role. It, I mean, it utterly confuses me. I just don't like it. I don't like anything about this movie. I don't like her in it. She's just, she's terrible here. 
Yeah, when it comes to Lawrence, I don't really disagree with anything you said. Um, I think I dislike the movie so much that when she does pop up and do something ridiculous, it kind of makes me smile, even if what she's doing is completely ridiculous as well. Yeah. Um, one little compliment that I guess I can give her is she has changed the way I hear the song Live and Let Die. Like whenever I that song comes on the radio, all I can picture her all I can picture is her manically cleaning her apartment. And mm-hmm. her like her weird messy bun just like flopping all over the place while she's like smoking while scrubbing and shaking her entire body as a way of dancing. I don't know. It's uh it's a weird moment that has just like solidified itself in my mind. So she's what I picture now when I hear that song. So I guess that's a compliment to her. But um, otherwise, yeah, it's a pretty bonkers performance in a pretty ridiculous movie. Uh, she just manages to, you know, make me briefly enjoy what I'm watching just because what she is doing is so bananas. Where do you stand on my comment of Renner, though? I think he's pretty good. I don't know if he's the best, but I think he's pretty good in it. Yeah. I mean, he really should have gotten a nomination. I would have been fine with an American Hustle nomination if it was Renner. That's it. Um, I do think the woman who plays his wife is really funny. Jeremy Renner's wife. I think um, Elizabeth Rome, I think is her name. It's so funny because she pops up in movies and she's like one of those actors who her headshot looks so different from what she actually looks like, I think. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, oh, that's her. Um, Yeah, because she's also in Joy as Jennifer Lawrence's sister and Mm -hmm. looks completely different in that movie than she does here in her headshot. I'm like, who is this chameleon woman? She's Elizabeth Rome. She's such a good character actress that not even the gays who stand character actresses know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, too, hashtag justice for Jackie Weaver here being the only silver linings person to not come over into this film. Rude. 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 Exactly. Rude, rude. I stand my 2012 Best Supporting Actress winner, and she got completely fucked on the reunion here. Mm -hmm. So, whatever. Um, All right, moving on to this year's winner, Lupita Nyong'o as Patsy in 12 Years a Slave. This is her sole nomination so far, which is baffling. Hashtag justice for us. Um, Going into this, she was the other big winner so it was Lawrence versus Nyong'o um somehow BAFTA and Golden Globes only nominate her but luckily the critics the spirit the LA film critics and SAG did her right with the wins while the National Society film critics New York film critics and then SAG cast nominations went to her um for supporting as well um in 12 Years a Slave Nyong'o plays Patsy who is she is heartbreakingly the I don't, let, me, let, me, let me say this and I want to actually know if you agree with this she is heartbreakingly the poster child to the idea of what we know slavery as do you think that's fair to say on the effects um, of slavery I mean granted it happens to the entire cast who are play slaves but I feel like we really get the, 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 brunt, the blunt end of the stick with Patsy I think I understand what you're saying. I'm not sure of a better way of wording it, but I think I get what yeah. you mean. Yeah. We, um, she is a woman who is a slave, who is abused 
mentally, physically, sexually, she um, she is a character who doesn't have a happy ending. Not many characters in this movie do. Um, it's really all I can, I guess, describe Patsy as, and it really makes me sad. So, uh, Brandon, what do you think of Nyong'o? Here's Patsy. Um, so this is, I mean, one of the best debuts maybe of all time. Um, Nyong'o, I think, is tremendous here. Um, this is a character who I think uh, takes the energy out of the audience at every step of the film. And uh, what I mean by that is this performance is entirely draining. Um, Lapita Nyong'o, I think, demands as much from the audience watching the movie as she is putting into it. Um, the, I mean, there's, there's so many scenes where you are just entirely uncomfortable watching what's going on. Um, even the scenes where she's being praised. Like, I think, I don't remember if it's her first scene, but one of the first ones is where they're going through everyone's bags of cotton and weighing them. And people who have uh, lighter bags are being chastised. And then it gets to her and she's like the champion of everyone. She picks way more than anyone else and she's being uplifted and praised. Even in a scene like that, there is still a very sinister wickedness going on behind the scenes. Even though she's being built up, you know something really dark is right around the corner for her and she knows it too. And that might have a lot to do with why the Michael Fassbender character um, chooses her as his concubine rape victim. I mean, there's no romanticizing the master-slave affairs that we often get in storytelling over the years in films and literature. It's always, it's always kind of gross whether um, writers want to play into that at all. Um, a lot of Folks, I think, try to romanticize it a bit too much. Uh, this movie does not. Um, the scenes where he is, you know, on top of her and thrusting, there is this almost dead look in her eye, this, like, hollowness um, that completely washes away this idea of it being a romantic affair and really solidifies for the audience that this is something deeply troubling and disturbing and is not okay. The idea of slavery is obviously not okay, but this is somehow a step even farther in the wrong direction. And um, Nyong'o really, really sells that moment. And there is no question um, how we ought to be feeling at those times. Uh, she's also a character who, when she is in pain, it's hard to not only not sympathize with her, but to not be in pain as well. Like when she is being brutally whipped toward the end of the movie, uh, almost to the point that she has, where she has no flesh on her back anymore because of how savagely she is being beaten. Um, there's a moment in that scene where she she loses the ability to vocalize her feeling, to vocalize her pain. And it's just this very breathy sound that almost doesn't, it's almost not even audible. But in what you are able to pick up on with your ears, it's just, 
pure agony and in her face it is pure agony and this is I don't know this is a performance that I feel like is on another level uh Lapita Nyong'o really made a name for herself with this performance and I think it's clear as day when you watch it why that is and why she eventually became the undeniable winner of this Oscar uh I think she's incredible through and through in this in this film yeah um this this is one of those performances i remember i saw this in the theater at valley view and i i'm a frequenter going to see movies by myself personally i love it i love being my own little world i don't you know what i mean like you get your own little popcorn you get to do your own thing that's of course when you could go to the movies um this was a movie that I was very happy to see on my own because it was so uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's, and I don't, I, I'm going to use this word, which is not the way that I think of slavery, obviously, but I think seeing this movie alone was the most beautiful way to do it because the thing that this movie did was, you know, the U.S. was built on two genocides. It was built on the slavery of one race and the blood of the other and the blood of another so native americans and africans and the thing that the u.s doesn't do well at all is teach on that history you know in germany you're pressed to find a five-year-old who doesn't understand what the holocaust was and the effects of that we don't do that with people here and that's it's a big problem to this day when it comes to uh uh, systematic and systemic racism um, and 12 years a slave was a an amazing harsh truth to watch and then I say amazing because it's so it's not afraid to get ugly like slavery was so to watch this movie I, I, in its own way is hard but amazing to do Nyong'o's performance, I remember it, I remember the effect it had on me. And it was the first time that I truly watched a performance and number one, could not believe it was a debut. But number two, Patsy is, you, you want to reach through the screen and hold Patsy and comfort Patsy. And you want to, you want to truly make everything okay and you want to kill master shaw and mrs shaw and you want to do everything you can to not only help the slaves but patsy in particular like you you're you're witnessing the horror that was slavery but when you are witnessing as a whole and you're focused on one performance i think that speaks a lot on what nyango can do as an actor she is giving you you're 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 essentially watching an ensemble of amazing black actors but you're focusing on her am i making sense yeah and you know the work that chewy tell puts into this the work that alfrey puts into this is amazing 
And even the work that Sarah Paulson and Fassbender are pulling at this is amazing in its own right. But out of all this amazingness, when you're when when you leave that theater or leave watching this movie, and all you can think of is Lupita Nyong'o, it's a fucking astounding feat. And I remember that when this movie ended, sitting in the theater, and there's one of two times that I've ever just sat in a theater after a movie. This was the first time. The other one was Moonlight. And we'll get to obviously Moonlight in a couple of years, but it truly had me, as the kids say, shook and affected me so much because I was able to look at the privilege that I've had and, and, and realize that my skin color gave me a privilege where I never quote unquote had to, well, no, I never had to experience this. And it really educated me on what people of color have gone from or come from and what they go through. And it, it's it's an amazing tool to teach this film and this movie, this performance. I mean, there's so much I could just praise about this as a whole, but Nyong'o is fantastic here. Sorry, I know I went on a rant there, but this movie really, really moves me. Uh-huh. Um, well, I have a, a small little theory as to why I think this movie was so impactful why it moves so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that so much of the content about um, the days of slavery and the Civil War and the Confederacy and the post-Civil War years made in Hollywood have this very dreamy, romantic filter that they shot it all through. This is a huge um, controversy with you know movies like Gone with the Wind in the year 2020. Gone with the South. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's a ton of movies from the 30s. Uh, I just watched a, a John Ford film that was on Turner Classic the other night called Judge Priest that mm-hmm. has um, some very troubling uh, positive feelings about the Confederacy in it and the way that that movie depicts the Black characters in it. Um, so for decades and generations, we have gotten these movies that have watered down the horrors of the antebellum South and slavery. And we have this very dreamy idea of what it was, or at least a lot of people do. Um, And then this movie comes along and shows the horrors for what they are. It treats its subject matter like it is something to be horrified by. And I think a lot of people, a lot of white people specifically, were um, unfamiliar with that feeling and watching something like that, because I mean, up until this point, the maybe the mo- one of the most brutal depictions of slavery they'd ever seen was Roots. Like, yeah. but yeah. like I come from, like I said earlier with the Nebraska talk, I come from a pretty rural conservative area of Ohio. And a lot of the people there, a lot of the people that I'm related to wholeheartedly believe that the Civil War had nothing to do with slavery that it was all about states' rights and economic issues. And yeah, the economic issue of being able to own a human being and not pay them for their labor, that economic issue, also known as slavery. So I think a lot of people that watched this movie were really struck by having to really address this subject in a way that they never really had been forced to before. Now, I know a lot of people listening to this 
probably don't understand what that's like growing up in a place where people truly believe that that slavery was a trivial matter in the Civil mm -hmm. War, but there are people who sincerely believe that it was. Um, having grown up in a place that believed that, and I can fully admit that there was a point in my youth where I also just kind of went along with that idea because I hadn't yet left the bubble of mm -hmm. where I grew up. Um, so yeah, I kind of lost myself, but I think this movie had a huge impact on people because it showed its material or it, um, it depicted the material in a way that people were not familiar with. It wasn't this dreamy gone with the wind where the slaves are all jovial and seem to be perfectly content with being enslaved because their master is so benevolent. You know, this movie does not shy away from the brutality and the ugliness that comes with slavery and the antebellum South. So well, I hope that all yeah. makes sense. I mean, that's, that's too why I brought up in the, when I started talking was, I mean, fuck dude, you, you're from Ohio. We grew up in different parts of Ohio, but we're still, we were still educated on the American education system. We literally in, in school, uh, trail of tears when it comes to native Americans, that's it. And black history month, that's it. Like we're not taught all this shit. You know, and that's why I think it's so, I always point to Germany, shout out to Fritz and Christoph for actually having a solid education system, love you boys, um, that teach about what Germany did in the Holocaust. And that way, you know, it's illegal in Germany to, sh to wave Nazi propaganda. It's literally punishable by jail time. What do we have here? To this day, I mean, look at look at around what's happening right now. The Black Lives Matter movement, the Charlottesville. There's quote unquote good people on both sides. Like bullshit. Like like the KKK is still openly active. You have the people with the Confederates. You, I mean, it, the shit it, it has been taught here. Therefore, this country is still not healed. You know, I mean. This movie, if more movies can be made like this and people can see, hopefully they can educate, but we are such in this country in a deep, deep shithole of um, neglect and, and ignorance that I, I honestly fear that it won't ever change um, for a lot of people. Um, I mean, it's just, it's fucking terrifying when you look at, and, the, and these are the type of conversations that this movie causes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's good to talk about, but it's also, you know, it's, it's very fucked up. And I mean, people who don't understand Ohio, for an example, literally Ohio is very rural um, mm -hmm. outside of Cleveland, Athens and Columbus. And then Outside of that, even like half of Cincinnati is liberal. Like those are your three liberal areas of Ohio. It's Cleveland, Columbus, and Athens, and then half of Cincinnati. And then the other half of Cincinnati is very Kentucky. Um, so outside of those three spots, it's a very quote unquote Southern, Southern uh, mindset state. Mm -hmm. So it's it just, I mean, it, it's just, it's fucked. I feel like we're getting sidetracked and that's, probably a good thing or a bad thing but I, I i'm glad that this movie causes these type of conversations but i mean it's you know i, I think, think it's a conversation good. needs to happen 
I mean, this movie that came out in 2013 should not have been the powerful educational tool that it was. I mean, it is a very powerful film, well-made and all that. But, I mean, textbooks, or at least when I was in school and when you were in school, still kind of watered down this issue of slavery. Oh, like, yeah. I, like, I remember, like, learning what slavery was in the abstract, but we never really dove into it. Mm -hmm. And even in our education system, there is this weird, dreamy love affair with the idea of states' rights and the Confederacy. Like, even people in Ohio are, like, clutching to the Confederate flag and what they think it represents. Right. Like, Bitch, Ohio you are from Ohio. State. Ohio was not part of the Confederacy. Like, what is wrong with you? And if state... If right. you, okay, okay. If you are so into this idea of states' rights, and that's what you think the Confederate flag represents to you, replace the Confederate flag with your own state's flag. Like, if you want to embrace your state and your state's rights... Yeah. Embrace the Ohio flag. Embrace the Tennessee flag. You know, like, you don't need this symbol of the Confederacy, this symbol of hatred and oppression to make that statement. Yeah. Unless, of course, the statement you're making is really that you're pro-slavery and anti-black. Right. Then, I guess in that case, just fucking say that. Yeah, and your fucking Confederacy, guess what? Us, as gay people, we can, we've been able to get married longer than your fucking Confederacy was around now. So... Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, like ugh, it's just it. This is a whole other conversation, and maybe one day we can do, I don't know, a side episode of that. And I think that'd be really important to have. Um, but you know, this is this type of film, and this is what it does, and it's a great film, and it earned its best picture win. And Nyango is fucking brilliant, and it's a great performance. Mm -hmm. I will say too, um, I do love her her Oscar speech, especially it's one of my favorites, if not my favorite of all time. It actually um, inspired me the next year to audition for Yale drama. So thank you to Lupita Nyong'o. I want to give you a big hug one day when we can hug when we can hug people again. Um, but yeah, I think this is all around a great, great, great performance. Yeah, uh, and it should not be her only nomination at the Oscars yeah. today. I will say this uh, This last season, someone had tweeted, it actually went viral, that I just want to leave before we get to the next person on um, people to think about. Um, a uh, film critic, I forget her name, um, but she had made a tweet that said, the Acad after her snub for us, the Academy really said, we prefer you as a slave. Mm. And I think that is, you know, really something to think about. So, yeah. Um, and then we also have to guess who we were, who were guessing for, because we totally skipped over that part. But let's get through Julia Roberts oh, yeah. first. Oh, yeah. Uh, Julia Roberts is Barbara Weston in August Osage County. This is her fourth of four nominations. Going into this, she gets just nominations from Golden Globe, BAFTA Critics' Choice, and two SAG nominations for supporting and cast. In August Osage County, again, Julia plays Barbara, who is the old, she's the eldest daughter who goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Meryl Streep's Violet and really takes charge on all the bullshit her family goes through. Brandon, tell us what you think about Julia Roberts as Barbara in August Osage County. Uh, Julia Roberts in this movie is a bit too much for me. Um, I, I have not seen um, August Osage County on the stage. Um, I have not seen you know, how it's performed that, in that um, venue. But um, Julia is just about 
a bucket and a half too much for me in this. Uh, it's a performance that really never lets you forget that she's in the movie. It's almost as if she was afraid that you would. And any chance she got, she's uh, shouting, waving her arms, doing whatever it is she can to um, remind you that she's Julia Roberts and that she hasn't had an Oscar nomination in over a decade. And God damn it, she deserves one. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's whenever I watch this movie, I just kind of roll my eyes at her performance. It's maybe it works for some people. I don't know. But like the scene where she meets with a, uh, her mother's doctor and she's like stoning him with the pill bottles. Like he's talking about like her mother's illness and why he's prescribed all this stuff. And then she just reaches into her bag and just starts like tossing the empty pill bottles at him. It's just, it's almost comical for me. Maybe it's meant to be played comical. Maybe it's supposed to be like a, have a dark comedic edge to it, but it's just kind of confusing to me. Um, I don't know. Julia's just, she's being a little bit too Julia here. And not in the way that it worked for me with Aaron Brockovich. This is almost like she she just stepped off a cliff. Like she just went too far. She's like that, she's like that game in The Price is Right with a little yodeling guy who's like going up and up and up. Oh and he goes too far. And if he gets too far, he falls down and you lose. Julia has gone over the edge and she is yodeling her way all the way down. And she's her yodeling's getting louder as she as she plummets. Um, yeah, it, it's not for me. This is not my Julia Roberts uh, nominated performance. So I have never seen August Osuchani on the stage either. Um, and I remember specifically because, you know, I'm a huge watcher of The View. It's my shit. And I remember because every year those honest Oscar ballots come out and Julia Roberts made... I don't think she made the news for what she wanted to exactly, but... I remember them talking about it on The View and Wolfie was actually really pissed about it because like the one that made the headlines was called like saying how awful Julia Roberts is. Like she's just really reaching for the back of the room. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. I love August Osage County. I think it is ham bone to the max. I think it is so much fun and you really can't take it seriously, especially with it being a black comedy. Like it is deliciously awful and i see exactly what you're saying about julia roberts but i love it because it is so ham um obviously this is the t episode of all things august Sessions county which we'll get to after we talk about meryl but um <laughs> julia roberts is a lot of fun here if you go into this not taking this movie seriously like i don't think you're supposed to at all like i can see why people have their their issues or their ish as the kids say with um this movie and her performance but if you really buckle this down to just being a i don't want to say slapstick comic it's not slapstick but just being such a dark black comedy then you can really appreciate it i think for what this is um including the over-the-top julia roberts that julia roberts gives us here now I want to bring up uh, Matthew Stewart, who does the Screen Time data uh, for Screen Time Central. I actually asked him to specifically do this movie a couple of weeks ago, which he did, and I thank you so much. Um, a lot of people bring issue, which we'll get to with Meryl, here, uh, category placements. 
uh, Julia Roberts has the most out of the entire cast with 56 minutes and 15 seconds of screen time, which equals out to 46.55% of the screen time, while Meryl Streep is at 53.08 and 43.97% of the screen time. Um, what do you feel about this? Um, well, we'll get to Meryl here shortly, but um, I think Julia is definitely in the wrong category. Um, so much of this movie is told from this character's point of view. And um, it is a huge ensemble piece, but it's a, a piece with uh, at least one star at its center. And um, Julia Roberts is definitely not in the right category here, in my opinion. Okay. I'm going to hold off my thoughts until we get to Meryl, because not that I'm saying I disagree with you, but I am also saying that I don't agree with you. I just want to wait because mm -hmm. half of the screen time thing actually comes from some of the tea that I have about this movie. Okay. So I'm going to keep you on pins and needles. Um, Ronaldo Sosa wants to know, would you have nominated any other cast members from August Osage County? Um, I really like, actually, I like a few people in this movie. I'm not sure who I would, I'd have to think about who I'd boot in their place. Actually, I, I know that, but I'm not going to say until the end, obviously. Um, Margot Martindale and Juliette Lewis, I think, are my two favorites here. I also really like Julianne Nichols here in more of a, a subtle role um, compared to everyone else in this movie. So um, those are the three that I really like, and I would not have minded if they had gotten nominations. Yeah, um, I really like Juliette Lewis here. I think she should have been nominated. I think she's the best of the sisters as a whole. Um, I'm not really sure I understand the Julian Nicholson love here. I don't think she's good at all. Um, she seems very misplaced, especially for the fact that our, I don't even think Julie Roberts is playing the lead or the elder sister because there's a point where uh, she said, you're almost 50, you're going to break a hip. It's like, um, okay, that's doesn't make any sense because this bitch looks like she's like 35. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely think uh, uh, Julie, or Juliette Lewis should have been nominated here, so... That's just me. That also goes into a little bit of Javier Alvarez Palma's question. Would have the always excellent Julia Nicholson any opportunity of being nominated if Julia had competed as lead? Um, so he's I asking. So. I don't think so either. I also don't think Nicholson is good here, like I said, so I wouldn't have nominated her. I like Nicholson just as an actress. Um, I think she's really great in a lot of things. Um, I don't think she would have been the one to succeed in supporting if Julia had gone lead. I have a feeling that would probably be Martindale for some reason. I like Juliette Lewis a lot, but for some reason I see Martindale as the more likely one for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, August Osage County seemed to have a lot of steam going into Oscar season and then it just fizzled really, really quick. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Kyle Flyberg wants to know why didn't Margot Robbie get much awards recognition for Wolf of Wall Street? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street's another one that I haven't seen since its awards run. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I don't remember being particularly wowed by Robbie. Um, I remember liking her in the movie, but I don't recall leaving that movie thinking that it was, uh, you know, a an amazing supporting actress turn that deserved recognition. But I remember liking her for whatever that's worth. So I gotta, I gotta say I agree with this here. I think Margot Robbie, well, actually I don't know what I agree with here because I don't think, 
either the question or you said what I wanted to say. So let me start this over. I think Margot Robbie deserved a nomination here. Um, I think it was a great first hello, welcome into Margot Robbie's world. Um, I don't understand why she didn't get it, especially with the fact that Jonah Hill got in with pretty much no precursors, but obviously that's a next season topic. Um, doesn't make sense to me. I think she would have been really worthy of a nomination here. I also think that you have to look at Scorsese's past with women nominees. I mean, fuck, when's the last time he had one? Uh, Kate Fear, Juliette Lewis, speaking of Juliette Lewis, you know what I mean? So um, I don't know. I don't understand why she got in. Some people say the age. I mean, Margaret Robbie was like 22 when she got in, when she did Wolf of Wall Street, but I don't think unlike Jennifer Lawrence there, her age played a factor into how well she was with the role. Um, I think she was actually the perfect age to play that role in Wolf of Wall Street. So I don't know. I think she would have been worthy of a nomination. Yeah, I'm looking forward to revisiting that movie next season. Uh, maybe I'll see something that I didn't see before or remember something that I'm forgetting now because I haven't seen it since it came out. So it's possible that I did like Robbie quite a bit and I just don't <laughs> recall. Yeah, I will tell you as a gay man watching Wolf of Wall Street, I am like, is this really what straight men are like? Like, I'm like, oh my God. Like, exhausting it seems so exhausting but you know whatever <laughs> mm -hmm. oh so really quick because we totally skipped over it um who do you think we're picking this season an hour into this fucking conversation uh well uh my guess hasn't changed before we started recording i had my idea written down that you would go with judy dench and lapita nyong'o all right i think you're gonna go with nyong'o and kate blanchett all right, well, your nominees for Best Actress in a Leading Role in 2013 were... Amy Adams, American Hustle, Kate Blanchett, Blue Jasmine, Sandra Bullock, Gravity, Judy Dench, Philomena, Meryl Streep, August Osage County. Okay, let's start with our winner for the year, Kate Blanchett, winning for Blue Jasmine. This is her sixth of seven nominations and her second of two wins. Going into this, um, if you look at precursors, she's pretty much a, an undisputed frontrunner. She wins the Golden Globe for Drama, the BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, Spirit Award, Los Angeles Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. Uh, the only major-ish award that she doesn't really win going into this is the Gotham Award. And um, in Blue Jasmine, Kate Blanchett plays Jasmine French, a New York sociolite who travels to San Francisco to stay with her working-class sister while her husband goes to jail for financial crimes. So how do you feel about Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine? I really like this here. This is actually one of the performances that... Um, you know, I've been very vocal, obviously, with Woody Allen performances before, saying Bullets Over Broadway is really, like, the only Woody Allen film that I like, yada, yada, we've heard that story, yada, 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 okay. Now, um, with Jennifer Tilly in Bullets Over Broadway, I think Kate Blanchett gives the second best performance in a Woody Allen film ever. I really appreciate this. Um, the neuroticism of her Jasmine is amazing. And I love someone who likes to pop a pill and drink a martini with a twist of lemon to calm her ass down. Um, I'm like, oh, life goals after my alimony kicks in. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't have a complaint about this one. I just wish that it was in a better movie. Um, but I think Blanchett is having a lot of fun here. Um, plus two, I love 
do you remember her SAG award acceptance speech where she's like, Matthew McConaughey talked about planets for, I can have five seconds. She's like, thank you for everyone who voted for me and whoever didn't, better luck next year. I'm like, I love that. Like, that's amazing. Um, so I think Blanchett had a lot of fun on this award circuit. I think she had a lot of fun with this role and I really like this. So kudos to Blanchett. Yeah, I really like this a lot too. Um, the whole neurotic woman thing is not unusual in Woody Allen's repertoire, but I think Kate Blanchett really stands out among them. She kind of takes that uh, type of character that Allen is so good at crafting on the page and really brings her to life. Um, that sort of delusional thing that I was talking about with Jennifer Lawrence uh, in, in American Hustle, Kate Blanchett also does, but I think in a more elevated way that matches the movie that it's in a little bit better. Uh, Blue Jasmine as a movie, I think is okay. I don't think it's a bad film, but um, the movie itself, I don't think is that great. Uh, it's a movie with a couple of great performances in it, and Kate Blanchett is one of them. I think she's really funny here. Um, in a way that I think we're meant to kind of laugh with and laugh at her. She's kind of, um, she's stuck up in a way and she's uh, has these false expectations of how life is gonna work out for her. Uh, she's kind of stuck in the past while also trying to, you know, pave her way toward her next great rich future. And uh, I think she's hilarious at it. I love her popping of pills and constantly drinking. And uh, I think maybe one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where she's at the diner with the children and she just kind of unleashes her thoughts on life and her mm -hmm. worldview on men and marriage and all sorts <laughs> of things on these kids who are just looking at her like she's completely insane. And honestly, she kind of is. Um, mm -hmm. I think that is a great moment here. Um, she is just so on another planet, uh, the Jasmine character. And honestly, she would have made a fantastic Real Housewife of New York. Oh my God, yes. So yeah, I think this is a really great performance. And um, I really dig Kate Blanchett here in Blue Jasmine. Yeah, um, also she's absolutely right, people. Tip big, mm -hmm. just saying. Tip big. If you can't tip, don't go out to eat. So, yeah, I think she's wonderful. Uh, so, do you recall her whole, the whole campaign about how she was never directed? How that yeah. found its way yeah. in every interview and article. That 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 goes into the line of it's the politics of the academy. You know, it's kind of like again, we'll a lot of talking about next season points in this year next season we, we get to leo for the revenant where his like whole campaign was i ate bison liver hers was i directed myself mm -hmm. and that pisses me off because again i'm very much about the merit and the performance over the politics that's why i i have a show that i created and make and host with you you know what i mean i'm like let me fix what got fucked up here and that's something that got fucked up because again it's it Monique says it best. It's about the performance, not the politics. And that pisses me off. This here, though, this idea of not needing direction, whether it's true or not, is a type of politics that does play into the merit of performance, though. Like, if it is true, then that is casting her as, you know, an expert actor 
who is, you know, giving a, a performance worthy of recognition because she created everything herself. I'm not sure how much of that was her pushing this narrative or if it was, you know, production pushing this narrative and it ended up finding its way into interviews that she had to then address and then, you know, articles and reviews being written about the movie. I'm not sure how much she was involved in that that idea that ended up snowballing and becoming a campaign, uh, so mm -hmm. to speak. But at the very least, I'm glad that this notion uh, that was used as a campaign is uh, referencing directly her performance and her talents as an actress. I mean, it's yeah. it's also a, a line that's less worthy of mockery than say there could be a hundred people in the room, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So at least this plays into her being an expert performer. Yeah. Okay. Next we have Amy Adams in American Hustle. This is her fifth of six nominations and her only nomination in the lead uh, category, which I find interesting. Going into this, uh, she was a bit of competition, I guess, as she takes the Golden Globe for comedy and the Critics' Choice Award for comedy, and she is a part of the SAG Ensemble win. Um, going into this, she's nominated with BAFTA and with the New York Film Critics Circle. In American Hustle, Amy Adams plays Sydney Prozer slash Lady Edith, a con artist forced with her partner to work uh, for the FBI to hustle some corrupt politicians. So how do you feel about Amy Adams in American Hustle? Pure shit pure shit we've reached amy adams worst nomination what the fuck is going on here first of all here's a big issue horrible english accent how the fuck are you gonna play lady lady edith evans and talk like this and like not really like get an english accent number two many people don't realize that most of amy Ad like i i think it was reported like 85 percent of amy adams's role here was 80 yard because no one could tell what she was doing. If you have to 85% of your role has to be 80 yard, why are you winning and being nominated for shit? She is so bad here. And the fact that people actually think she's good is mind blowing. Like makes no sense. Um, her English accent doesn't work because she can't do one here. Um, again, this movie doesn't make any sense for her to even have a character. Um, what is happening? How is this nominated? This is literally American Hustle being nominated for anything was one of the worst in Academy history. Honestly, it, I mean, I would take Tom Jones over Hustle and that's saying something. Well, you know how much I hate Tom Jones. Um, this is shit. This is shit. This is shit. This is shit. What do you have to say about it? Um, I don't hate it as much as you do. Um, I don't think it's particularly great, but I think that is, you know, a running theme for this movie. Um, I don't dislike the accent because it is supposed to be fake. Um, I kind of actually buy that a lot of people would think that it's real because I, so since moving here, there is a weird number of British folk here in this Maryland area where I live. I'm not sure why that is, but I deal, I encounter a lot of customers at my store who are um, from across the pond. And there are actually some people who I talk to who have accents similar-ish to this. And they're accents that if you were to hear them in a movie, you would probably assume it was an American actor giving a very phony accent. And um, it's kind of funny how 
we've gotten to that point as film viewers. Uh, but given that she is a con artist here and it's not meant to be real, I kind of just go along with it. She's not really supposed to be an, an actress or particularly a good con artist. And it kind of just goes to show that if you commit to something, people will go along with it, that being the people that they're conning. Um, and people will believe whatever they want to believe, which is, you know, a huge part of the whole con game. So I don't think it's as bad as if she had been, you know, playing a character who was supposed to be British and this was supposed to be their, her natural accent. That would be different. But then again, like I said, there's all different types of accents. And there's ones that if you hear them in real life, you would think they were just really bad. Uh, but they're actually how people speak. I and mean, it's kind of difficult to put into words. It's weird. But um, I think she's perfectly fine here. Uh, this is a movie that I think has a lot of issues. Um, o. Russell kind of took the script and said, fuck it. And they improv a lot of this from what I heard and just kind of put this movie together in the editing room, which I think um, speaks to how difficult it is to follow at times and how thin the plot is at times. So it's, it's a difficult movie to judge the performances in given how fast and loose the production was. So given what we're shown on screen, it, it does seem a little haphazard at times. And um, there's not very much consistency to it. But it's hard for me to put all that blame on the actors when I feel like David O. Russell is a common denominator when it comes to the shortcomings of this movie. So Amy Adams seems to be trying her damnedest to do something and to create a very interesting character in Sydney, but I think the movie is what's holding her back. I wonder how this character would have come across if the script had been more solid and followed as a blueprint with a director who is more willing to follow that script and really build up his performers, then maybe this phony on purpose accent that she's doing wouldn't come across in the way that it, sh that it does. And her intentions as an actor would be a little bit more clear. So I guess I'm willing to forgive Amy Adams for a lot of what we see on screen because I know how much of David O. Russell's style is playing against her. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's not great, but I don't hate it. Do you do you think of it though, like honestly, if you if the studio and the producers have to bring you back and you have to loop 85% of your material, do you honestly think that's worthy of an Oscar though? Uh, or an Oscar or at least an Oscar nomination. I mean, it I'm I'm genuinely asking that because I'm curious on your thoughts. I honestly need to know more because looping the majority of your lines is not uncommon in film production. A lot of that also might not be her. That could be on the sound department. That could be on the way the camera department shot it, uh, forcing the sound to not get the sound department to not get quality sound. Um, exterior scenes are often looped uh, because they can't control the weather or traffic. So I would need to know more um, information as to why the looping was happening to fully say for certain whether or not it was Amy Adams' fault. But I'm usually more. When it comes to looping, I think it has more to do with the production than it does the actor most of the time. Well, from what I've read, it was reported that no one could understand 
what she was saying because her accent work was that bad. So it's not just like my feelings towards, I mean, that does play a lot into it for myself looking into this role, but apparently, again, she had to loop her dialogue because producers were like, what the fuck are you trying to do here? So I don't know, for me, that plays a big factor into why this is one of the worst ever in this category and for poor Amy Adams. Because honestly, like I, I mean, we, we, we've done all, as of this recording, you and I have gone over every Amy Adams performance. So, you know, she's not a bad actress. This is just confusing to me. Yeah, I, I just don't think their production was supporting her in the way that she should have been. And no. I think under different circumstances, the whatever looping was necessary might not have been necessary. There's always going to be looping. Pretty much every movie you've ever watched yeah. has been looped at some point. Um, so that's not a diss to the actor. Uh, but if she had been working with a different director who you know, actually planned things out and stuck, stood by those plans, whatever she was struggling to convey on set, um, if that story is to be believed, might not have been the case. And she might not have looked as bad as she may have if what we've heard is true. Well, we have some questions in Amy Adams, um, starting with Lulu Del Rey. Why do you think that this was the only time so far that Amy Adams has been recognized for a lead performance despite being lead in several movies such as Enchanted, Big Eyes, and Arrival? Why does she have so many supporting noms? I'm not sure exactly why. I don't know if uh, certain people within the Academy see her as more of a, a character actress starlet or what. I don't know if that even makes any sense. It does. But, um, yeah, I think she's given lead performances that are worthy of recognition. But for some reason, I don't know if the industry, specifically the Academy, takes those performances as seriously or likes them as much. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I you got to think like Enchant, she won for Big Eyes for the Golden Globe. She's nominated for Enchanted and Arrival. Like, and you know, I, and this is not me throwing, you know, a, a diss at her, but like, I'll use Arrival for an example. A lot of people, I know that I'm in the minority that don't like Arrival. And therefore, I, I mean, I also don't think that she did anything Oscar worthy in Arrival. However, a lot of people disagree with that and would be like, you know, go Amy Adams, Arrival, yada, yada, yada. I think you hit it on the head with like something that she leads with, with Arrival or is her movie. I just don't think that the Academy recognizes that because she is always an is pretty much an ensemble piece. You know what I mean? I don't even know if that makes sense. Um, I think there's this weird thing with Amy Adams, like in order for people to see her, she has to be surrounded by everyone else, which is kind of shitty. Mm. I don't know. I might be just be talking out of my ass there. Yeah, um, um, I think she's worthy of nominations as a lead actor, uh, just for some reason. She doesn't seem to be uh, at the front of people's minds whenever she's leading a movie. Not sure why that is. I've never seen Enchanted nor Big Eyes, so I can't talk on those. But that's why I used Arrival for my example there, because it was the one that I saw out of those. So I don't know. Um, and then Christoph wants to know, follow up to that, why has Adams, after her first nod for Junebug, only been nominated for films with three or four acting nominations, but missed out whenever she was her film's only contender in the acting race? is she something of a token coattail nominee? And I think that's also why I brought up what I just did, because I think the Academy seems to only recognize Amy Adams when she's around other people. Mm -hmm. 
So. Yeah, I wonder, she does do a lot of uh, bigger cast ensemble pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if she's, um, she's not that showy of a performer most of the time. So yeah. I wonder if that works against her, especially when she's playing a lead part. Because like Arrival is not that showy of a performance. It's a performance mm-hmm. that you as the audience really need to lean into. And I also think that performance plays so much better the second time. Like I liked her the first time, but I also just liked the movie. But it was on the second watch where you really see a lot of the subtle things that she's doing leading up to the finale of that film. So I wonder if she's just... Um, she doesn't often give voters what they might be looking for in a lead performance. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Sandra Bullock, nominated here for Gravity. This is her second of two nominations. Going into this, she wins a Critics' Choice Award for Action, and she also wins a Saturn Award. Um, I don't think Critics' Choice in an Action Film is one we've come across yet. I think that's interesting. She was also nominated for a Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, a General Critics' Choice nomination, and she also gets two Kids' Choice Award nominations, one for Actress and one for Female Butt Kicker. Yeah. In Gravity, Sandra Bullock plays Ryan Stone, a medical engineer struggling to survive in space when disaster strikes her space station. So how do you feel about Sandra Bullock and Gravity? Gravity, also known as Sandra Bullock Plus in Space. Um, I really like her here. I think this is a way better nomination than her Blindside nomination. I think this is a way better movie than her Blindside film. Um, you know, we have to also think of the time that this came out. She was still only three years fresh or three or four years fresh off of her Oscar win. Um, so she, A, she had that momentum. And she really, Sandra Bullock is like one of those people that really had, which is unfortunate, something to prove after her Oscar win to make sure it wasn't just a fluke. And I could see why she picked a project like this. Um, I don't really have any bad things to say about it, except for the, whoever picked her Oscars clip, that was a really stupid-ass clip to pick. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers, but it was that where she was, like, banging on the, the system. And she's like, what? Uh, uh, it's just, just her screaming, and then it's, like, a shot from her outside of the, uh, the, the space capsule she's in, so it really didn't show anything. So that was no bueno. But no, um... I think Bullock does really well here. Um, I believe everything that this character is going through, um, you really root for her. I mean, she carries this entire movie on her own. Um, I guess originally Angelina Jolie was supposed to play this role and then dropped out. And um, I don't know if any other actress could have done what Bullock did here. I think that speaks for Miles. Um, it also makes me wonder, despite Blanchett really sweeping everything, how close she was to actually winning this. Because like Gravity, um, she was nominated everywhere for this. And, you know, it, it Best Picture really came between 12 Years a Slave that year and Gravity. And then Director was very much Alfonso Cuaron versus uh, Steve McQueen. Um, obviously Cuaron won at Director there and then this was split at Picture. Um, but yeah, I think this is fantastic. I really like her here. I do too. Um, this is a very physical performance. Yeah. Um, there is an athleticism to what she's doing here that I don't know if a lot of other actors, um, could have pulled off in quite the same way. Um, you can kind of, you can tell watching this movie that Sandra Bullock has a background in dance. Uh, there is a 
there's almost a ballerina quality to the way she moves in this film and the specificity to her movements. Um, it's also a, a heart-wrenching performance. I mean, this movie, for the most part, is told pretty much in real time. Yeah. Um, and we get this, uh, uh, like, a capsule in time, this very, like, pulse-pounding hour and a half, two hours of this woman's life um, where she goes from, you know, being... Uh, on her first space trip, I believe it is, um, almost going through these routine uh, spacewalk uh, missions to uh, being the sole survivor of this uh, horrible incident that happened up in space to trying to figure out how the hell to survive and then get back to Earth, basically all on her own for the most part. And um, the fear, I think, is palpable. Uh, you can definitely feel the terror that she is experiencing. I know for certain that I would have died. Um, I don't think I ever would have survived what she goes through here. Um, I also know that a lot of people, for some reason, seem to look down on this performance because they think it's Sandra Bullock just heavy breathing and grunting for an hour and a half. And I think that's honestly kind of disrespectful uh, yeah. because it's... Com it's completely warranted um, the vocalizations that she's doing also for the set, the whole two second, two thirds of the movie. She doesn't really have a scene partner. She's really just by herself. And um, if she wouldn't be, if she wasn't vocalizing her, her pain and fear and discomfort and all the rest, it would for the most part be a silent performance. And that I don't think, would be believable. Um, mm -hmm. I also think that all of her her breaths and grunts are very specific to the moments when they are coming from her. I don't think it's her just making the same sound effect over and over again for an hour and a half. Uh, mm -hmm. There is like there is a chart of intensity in this movie, and um, I think Sandra Bullock is frequently very aware of what the stakes are at any given moment. And she lets it out as, as it is appropriate. Uh, I think this is a great performance. It's a performance that I think carries this entire movie. This is a very big film in a way. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem like it because the cast is so small. And for the most part, it's contained to one area, if you even want to call it that. But given the technical nature of this film, it is very big. And yeah. something this big with these uh, intricate camera movements and lighting setups and visual effects are very s specific in the way they are shot and the way the actor needs to move in a frame. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the depth of field in a lot of these shots was inches shallow and if Sandra Bullock had hit her mark at just if she just hit it slightly off the mark she could have ruined an entire shot and yeah. this is a this is like expert marksmanship on Sandra Bullock's part it's a highly technical performance that I feel a lot of casual moviegoers might not fully fathom um, this is like top-notch filmmaking on Quaron's part and the person playing the part of Ryan Stone 
would need to be just as um, just as proficient as an actor in order for Quaron to achieve what he was going for. There is a level of expertise that is necessary here. And um, I, I don't know how many actors could have pulled it off in quite the way that Sandra Bullock does. I think her experience in blockbusters really helps her here. Um, yeah. I mean, cause she spent like tw the first 20 years of her career in these, of doing a lot of action and thriller films that are also very um, craft heavy uh, dealing with, you know, hitting marks at very specific moments and these very um, complicated camera setups and lighting setups. So I wonder if someone who had uh, come from a more dramatic background or a theater background, well, actually there's, there's marks in theater too, but in a different way. Um, I wonder if her action background really helped her here and, um, helped her deliver a performance that uh, is way more complicated than I think meets the eye. Yeah, and I mean, this movie too, this movie is 91 minutes long in total. You have to think about six to seven minutes of that is end credits. So there's this movie is really only 84 minutes if you think about it in storytelling. And Sandra has probably 80 of those minutes to herself. And to carry that long of a film and to do it on your own and to give that intensity for 80 straight minutes. There's a lot more to this performance than just what you see. And you have to really take that into consideration when voting for a performance like this, because not many action films with action performances. It, it's, it's, I kind of look at it as like musical theater. Like we're like, don't let this at all be a think you know where I'm going with next next week's show but like when people talk about like Meryl in Into the Woods you have to understand the type of musical she's in just like you have to really vote there just like you have to understand the type of film Bullock is in here to vote I think this is not an easy just show up to your lines and you know let's capture it this is speaking of ADR I can guarantee that this is a performance that was mostly done in ADR as well so this is a performance unlike Amy Adams where they, she had to go back because no one understood what the fuck she was doing that Bullock really had to perform in ADR. Yeah, that's probably true. So, you know, there's a lot going into this performance that just meets the eye. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a, I don't even know what to call it. There is a, an expertise to this performance. I know I used that word already, but it's true. It's true. Uh, Sandra Bullock is doing something that I think a lot of people who are more removed from the filmmaking process might not initially notice. Yeah. But if you go back and watch this movie with that idea in mind and see how specific she is with where her hands and where her feet land and exactly where she is placing and angling her face. I know it sounds silly. It really sounds silly, but it's so true that when it comes yeah comes to filmmaking that is on this level, everyone needs to be hitting their mark 100% of the time or everything crumbles. And Sandra Bullock is truly doing that. Yep, don't disagree with you there. Yeah. Uh, next we have Judy Dench nominated for Philomena. This is her seventh of seven nominations. Uh, so as of right now, it's her most recent. Going into this, uh, she wins the coveted AARP Movies for Grownups Award. <laughs> And she is recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Philomena, Judy Dench plays the titular role of 
Philomena Lee, a woman in search of her long lost son taken from her by nuns. So how do you feel about Judy Dench and Philomena? I really like this. This was a movie that I saw in theaters. I mean, I saw everything in theaters this year um, that this had come out. Um, I think Dench really was understated throughout this entire awards performance because everything really went towards Kate Blanchett. Um, she's heartbreaking here. I mean, even revisiting this, I hadn't seen this in a couple of years and revisiting this about a month or so ago, um, I was really taken back by how touching it is. You know, there's a point in, in this movie where I'm very frustrated with this character because she's so, despite what the Catholic Church has done to her um, and not knowing who her son was and every, you know, all that, it, it makes me like, why are you still forgiving? Because I would have been like, what's his face, his character? Um, uh, Steve oh, uh, Coogan? Yeah, Steve Coogan. I've been like, fuck these people. They did shitty to me. Like, I'm ready to flip some tables. Um, so it's very frustrating to watch that. But at the same time, you have to understand the type of character she is. You know, there is a moment in this that really sells it for me. So her son, we find out, became a political person for the right. And in our country, that is the Republican Party. But her son is also gay. And so it, as a gay person watching that, it's very much like slugs for salt type thing. Um, it doesn't make any sense to support a political party that is so against your basic human rights. Um, so, you know, I have to, I watch this movie as a gay man, figuring it out about this character. And then also as a person who was raised Catholic to really dive into my feelings towards how Philomena is reacting to all this and really putting it all together. But there's that moment where despite this huge adventure, it all leads back to this nunnery because her son loved her so much in the end that he wanted to be buried right at the orphanage. And um, when you see her come, quote unquote, face to face with her son, now mind you, her son's dead. So she's really looking at her his uh, tombstone. You, Your heart breaks. And I break down crying watching this moment because he was home all along. And Jude really comes through with her facial in her emotional act. And she doesn't have to say anything and your heart's breaking. And I think it's really touching. I think it's really, really sad that Judy Dunch didn't get anything coming into this award ceremony, especially because this might be her last nomination, which is also really sad to think because Judy Dunch is just amazing. Um, I, I really, really like this one too. Um, she's really good here. Nuns are bitches. Um, I feel like yeah. that's, the, that's the thesis of this movie. Um, Judy Dench is wonderful here. Um, I really like what she does with this character. Um, she is really funny in this movie. I think that's something that's often forgotten oh, yeah. when discussing yeah. this movie. Uh, you, you focus on the main story of a woman trying to find her son who was taken from her um, when he was very young, when she was very young. Um, and it's this harrowing story of trying to reunite with a long lost child. But um, Judy Dench, I think really helps this movie avoid that melodramatic territory by being hysterical. Her obsession with these romance novels that sound horrible, but I could listen to her describe them all day. Like when she's describing mm -hmm. these, these romance novels that take place in like 
16th century Scotland to Steve Coogan just sounds stupid as hell. But the way she cares so much about these stories and how much joy they bring her, uh, I could listen to her summaries all the time. Uh, she also, uh, she is also heartbreaking, like you were saying. Um, this movie doesn't, you know, shy away from how serious this subject matter is. And um, if I remember correctly, the movie says at the end how many children uh, were taken from their parents uh, by the Catholic Church and um, how many, you know, were never reunited. And it's really, um, it's really sad and really troubling. But uh, Judy Dench, I think, gives a wholehearted performance here. Um, Philomena Lee is a beautiful character. Um, she's someone who I'm sure would have been a delight to have met in real life if she's, you know, the same way that Judy Dench portrays her in the movie. Um, it's a really wonderful Judy Dench performance that I think gets overlooked quite a bit. Um, I feel like it's one that people don't don't immediately go to when they think of Judy Dench's performances, but um, I think that's too bad because uh, she's giving a really great performance in what I think is my favorite Hallmark movie of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack from this movie. And of course it, you know, it, it's, yeah, this movie's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it tackles some very uh, serious uh, subject matter, but not in a very aggressive way. Like, it definitely addresses um, some very, uh, really serious issues, but in a casual way that also really directs your eye to where it needs to go. Like the issue you mentioned earlier of her son uh, becoming um, a Republican homosexual. Like, Who these dies ideas... And... Right. Yeah. These ideas seem to be contradictory. Um, and yet they're not really. Um, yeah. Like I mentioned earlier with where I'm from, there's a lot of people I know who claim to be pro-LGBT and pro-gay marriage who will vote for Donald Trump, who will vote for whoever the Republican on the ballot is, while claiming that they're pro-LGBT rights. Um, these ideas that don't really seem to make sense. And right. there are gay Republicans uh, back from where I'm from. And to them, it's it keeps going back to these like stupid core principles of like states rights. And I believe in gay marriage, but just not the way that the, that the Democrats want to make it legal. And it's these like stupid little minutia issues that don't really make sense. Uh, it's, and I think Philomena, the film sort of addresses that without really arguing it. You know, it kind of presents this idea when they learn that he was a gay man who worked in Washington for a Republican senator or whatever it was. Um, you kind of, the movie gives you this moment of, hmm, well, that's kind of fucked up without actually, you know, getting on a soapbox and beating you over the head with it. Because uh, these are some really, these are some real issues. Because uh, this movie is pretty much based on a true story, or at least it's inspired by real events. And um, so her son would have been a real person more or less uh, a real homosexual man working i believe it, it was the reagan years in yeah. washington um so you know that's a can of worms in, in and of itself mm -hmm. but um 
it happens. There are people like that that exist. Uh, and I think Judy Dench, uh, to bring it back to her, really sells this idea uh, without being, you know, too obvious about it. I think that's uh, her confidence as an actor and her ability to really deliver um, more with less. Yeah. Well, uh, next we have uh, Meryl Streep nominated for August, Osage County. I don't know which nomination this is. I can't count that high. Um, going into <laughs> August, Osage County, the she gets a win with the Nevada Film Critics, for whatever that's worth. And she is also recognized with the Golden Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, and with the AARP Movies for Grown-Ups Awards. In August, Osage County, Meryl Streep plays Violet Weston, a wicked-tongued matriarch and um, recent widow with uh, mouth cancer and a fondness for pills and booze. So how do you feel about Meryl in August, Osage County? Before I dive into Meryl Streep really quick here, I know we bring her up all the time, but could you imagine Karen Black in this role? Oh, that'd be great. Oh my God, what a wonderful role that she would have done with this. Um, so starting with that. Um, I also really, really like Meryl here. Um, I think she's great in this. I know she gets, for some reason, a lot of shit for this performance and I don't understand why um it is so much fun again if you go into August Osage County with not a serious mind because this is not a serious movie um it it and if anything this movie really shows you that your family isn't the only fucked up one um I think she's having a blast here she knows the material that she's working with she knows the the the, the group that she's with you know like there's that moment that she really takes control of and focuses on her with the eat the fish bitch and she's like well we're slamming shit right so she like looks at with these like wide sesame street eyes at julia roberts and picks up her plate and throws it like she's like a six-year-old girl like this is such a fun role and she's so much fun here um i really like this and there's not a single complaint i have of this one either you know whether it's the are you supposed to be smoking is anyone supposed to smoke like she's totally hamming it up this character is also awful in the long run like as a character she is not a good person um but you know this this movie is a lot of fun she's a lot of fun and uh i have no complaints about it so um this role is sort of an actress's dream uh mm -hmm. meryl is really just living her damn life in this performance uh she gets to be big as hell in a way that i think makes sense uh she gets to ham it up in a way and really, really chew into this darkly comedic film uh, that's larger than life in every way. Um, I'm just, just not a huge fan of the movie itself, uh, but I think Meryl is doing pretty well with what she's given here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure John Wells just cast a bunch of people and just kind of let them go. I'm not sure how much directing he really did in this movie because it seems like Meryl and Julia and everyone are just doing their own thing. And sometimes that works and sometimes not so much. Uh, but, you know, Meryl, I think, is very aware of the low-key, messy movie that she's in. And she's really just playing into that. And um, I enjoy it for the most part. Um, I love her voice in this movie. And what she does with it, um, 
how she's sort of responding to this um, cancer uh, in her mouth and throat and what that's doing to her and yet how she like continues to smoke and drink and pop pills. Um, she has so many wonderful lines in this movie. Like um, I love the line about the only woman who was pretty enough to not need makeup was Elizabeth Taylor and she wore a ton. I really like the way Meryl delivers that line. Um, this is one that she gets a lot of flack for, and I can kind of see why, given that August Osage County is, I don't know that the movie ever really lived up to its theater reputation. Um, I don't know if it was a movie that was a natural fit for, or a story that was, a script that was a natural fit for film, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, maybe so, maybe not, but, um, for what it is, it's a ridiculous, uh, barrel of nonsense that I tend to enjoy for the most part, uh, even if I do have, even if I do find some drawbacks with it. Um, but Meryl seems to be pretty aware of what's going on and, um, she's, uh, taking the material and what seems to be happening on set around her and uh, taking it to the next level, I guess you could say. So for whatever it's worth, I think Meryl is, uh, she's doing all right with the, with the role. So, August Osage County, right? So Misty Upham, like I said, was a friend of mine. We were business partners. We were producing a film together with Karen Black and Leslie Brown and like, you know, all this shit. And then Misty and I had, um, had a falling out. And unfortunately for the last six months of her life, we weren't, talking because of stupid shit like it's one of those things you look back on you like grow the fuck up blah, 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 yada 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 so i met misty six months before this movie came out and we would spend you know she was living in la at the time i was on the east coast um so we would spend uh hours chain smoking cigarettes and skyping and talking and yada 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 and um uh you know so i met her going into August Sausage County and whatnot. So let's start with this. So her and Juliette Lewis were best friends while filming. Um, Juliette Lewis was really the only one outside of Meryl who even commented on Misty when she disappeared and then her death. And they would spend hours together. Um, now, allegedly, uh, they got really, really drunk one night and production had given them cars to drive around Oklahoma while they were filming. Um, and, oh, another thing. So it was always reported, before I get into the alleged part, it was always reported that the cast had spent time together in these townhomes. Misty wasn't exactly treated like everyone else in this cast. She was put up in a hotel while everyone else got a townhome. Um, Weinstein was very much like, I'm not paying for the maid type of thing. That's why you never saw Misty on the promotion circuit. Um, she said to me she was surprised she even got to go to SAG because Weinstein wasn't footing the bill for anything for her. Um, Weinstein had pretty much said, again, why am I paying for the help? That was his mindset of Misty and her role in this. Um, the ending even uh, had to be refilmed after Meryl put her foot down and was like, this is bullshit, no. So if you see like the original ending, Misty isn't even in it. And, you know. So the ending with Misty coddling uh, Meryl on the street was Meryl sticking up for Misty. Meryl also, Meryl was very close with Misty while filming this. Um, Meryl drew Misty. I guess when you film, when you make a film with Meryl, if she gets close to you, she draws a picture of you, which I think is the sweetest thing ever. So if I ever get the chance to work with Meryl Streep, I'm gonna be like, "Where's my picture, please?" Because you know who doesn't want a picture of yourself 
drawn by Lee Meryl Streep. Um, so I think that was really, really sweet. Um, when promotion and the, and the posters had come out, um, they used to stop at Sam Shepard's name. So Misty wasn't even a part of that. And Misty had drunkenly emailed Meryl Streep about how upset she was. And Meryl called Harvey out and was like, this is fucking bullshit. You attach her to everything. So again, because it's our Lord and Savior Meryl Streep, Meryl saved Misty for a lot for this movie, um, which I think is the sweetest thing ever. Now getting to the filming of this, um, her and Juliet were really, really close. And now mind you, everything that I'm telling you is what Misty told me. So this is not something like, I'm just going into this with some bullshit. Unfortunately, you know, she's not here to talk about it because um, I'm sure she would have been on this episode if we made up in a, in a heartbeat. Um, so her and Juliet got allegedly really, really drunk one night and crashed the car, Juliet's car. So Juliet would always uh, uh, take Misty's car after that. So I think that was cute. They would go bowling and everything and they were really, really buddy-buddy on this. Um, here's some fun tea is that Apparently, allegedly, Julia Roberts was very Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl and tried to control everything. She'd be very, very lovey-dovey with like Grant Hasloff and George Clooney and the men. But when it came to the women, it was, who the fuck are you? So she was very diva on this production. Um, doesn't really surprise me. But I guess the only woman that she played nice with was Meryl Streep. So I found that interesting. Um, so... Um, uh, upon the SAG Awards, I actually, Misty had FaceTimed me and I got to speak with the one and only Liza Minnelli. So that was really fucking cool. Um, but at the SAG Awards, her, um, I guess, again, Harvey's mindset mixed with Julia's divaness, they almost shut Misty out from being able to like go to the after parties and everything. And Meryl Streep stepped in again. So, you know, a lot of kudos to Meryl for Misty on this and saving and. You know, she was just like a genuine, really good person. You know, um, her role of Joanna wasn't very big, but she was there the entire time. She said, watching the Eat the Fish Bitch uh, scene filmed live was one of the coolest experiences she ever had received. Um, you know, and Misty's big thing was she didn't want to just be the Native American actress who played Native Americans. She was really trying to branch out and do her own thing. And she really was an, an amazing person, a kind soul. I do miss her. Um, you know, we, we, we had a lot of fun together. I think it's very tragic. You know, Misty's, Misty's thing was very much a lot of um, mental illness that was covered up and, you know, she was vocal on it. So it's not like I'm calling her out. And, um, you know, it was just, it was very unfortunate. She, she's like Karen, another friend who I miss. And, um, Legally, this is really all I can say. I mean, if you want to know more, Brandon, personally, I can tell you outside of this episode here, but um, even saying with what I said, even with allegedly, I just don't want anything to happen just mm -hmm. in case, you know, the wrong person hears it. Um, but yeah, that's what I can tell everyone right now about August Osage County. Yeah. These are the rumors. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, hopefully that cured some of your guys' need for tea. Um, but I really had to like break it down, like put everything down on paper and cross out what I could talk about. I know for sure, or what I couldn't talk about. And this is what I was left with. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, rest in peace, Misty Upham. You deserved better. All right. 
So, as a recap, your nominees for supporting actress were Lupita Nyong'o in 12 Years a Slave, Julia Roberts in Augustus County, June Squibb in Nebraska, Jennifer Lawrence in American Hustle, and Sally Hawkins in Blue Jasmine. No surprise, Jennifer Lawrence at five, Don's Belong Here by Terrible Awful. Oh, I forgot a very important piece. I'm sorry, I need to back up a little bit going into this because okay. I brought up um, screen time, right? So mm-hmm. for everybody talking about Roberts and Streep and where they should be, going into the ceremony, the whole cast agreed to campaign supporting because it was an ensemble piece. No matter the size of the role, none of them wanted to be put in lead. It was Harvey who switched it. Hmm. So that I think is a super important thing for people to understand is the fact that everyone was campaigned for supporting originally. Like that's what they wanted. They were pulling like a modern family thing where none of the adults wanted to go lead. They were all supporting. So despite Julia Roberts having more screen time than Meryl Streep, even Meryl agreed they all belonged in supporting. So going forward, just keep that in mind. Okay. Well, um, I'm basing my decisions today on what I have seen on screen because mostly when we get to the the lead actress category, it was really difficult for me to rank them uh, given, you know, things that I see versus things that I know about the production of these movies and just the production world in general. So I decided uh, as a theme for my rankings, I'm basing them on what I see on screen. So um, that's why I'm comfortable with uh, disqualifying Julia Roberts here because I see this movie as Barbara and Violet co-starring as the leads despite having a, such a large cast um, around them. Um, when I, I've read the play, uh, I've never seen it, but having read it and watched this movie, I just, it's always been in my mind that Barbara and Violet were the two stars of this movie. So um, based on that and how it comes across on screen, um, I'm just going to go ahead and disqualify Julia Roberts. Uh, so in my opinion, she should be in the other category. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um, I'm going to go with June Squibb at four. I think it's fine. I think it's cute. But the old lady shtick telling a joke, it's old pretty fast and I need more. Um, so it's pretty one note in that aspect. And therefore, I can only put it at four. Jennifer Lawrence is number four for me for um, American Hustle. Um, she's delightful at times because of how ridiculous she is and it kind of works at times because of how ridiculous this movie is but um, unfortunately the movie's not doing her so many favors and she probably shouldn't be playing the role in the first place so uh, Jennifer Lawrence is number four for American Hustle. Number three I gotta put Sally Hawkins it's a middle of the road performance Um, she doesn't have much to do here but what she does work with she does pretty well with so um, yeah Hawkins at three. Hawkins is my number three as well for pretty much the same reasons. Uh, Love her. Uh, She does pretty well with this role. Uh, Very easily could have been a role that um, faded away, but Hawkins manages to uh, keep her alive. So um, Sally Hawkins is my number three for Blue Jasmine. This is going to be one where we definitely disagree with. Um, August Osage County is an ensemble piece. There is no lead in my mind, plus two with the cast agreeing that it's all supporting. I know that I'm in right form here for this on a personal level so roberts is going to go second uh as the runner-up here leaving nyango the clear and delicious and rightful winner um roberts is fun Uh, you uh, yes i see why people have an issue with this but 
I think you really have to go into August Osage County knowing that it's not serious and it doesn't take itself seriously. And if you can do that, you understand the comedic aspect of uh, Barbara and what Roberts is doing. Nyong'o here though, clear cut winner. There's no doubt in my mind, probably the best winner in this category of the decade. Um, Nyong'o, number one. My number two is June Squibb for Nebraska. I love her in Nebraska. I think she's great. Um, but Lapita Nyong'o is a clear-cut winner. Um, enough said. Yep. So um, your leading nominees, as a reminder, were Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine, Amy Adams in American Hustle, Sandra Bullock in Gravity, Judy Dench in Philomena, and Meryl Streep in August, Osage County. And uh, Amy Adams is my number five for American Hustle. Um, I don't think she deserves quite the flack that she gets. And um, I think a lot of the drawbacks have to do with the production itself. But again, going with what I see on screen, um, she is not doing quite enough for me as the other four. She's not quite as cohesive as the other four. So based on what we are given as an audience, um, Amy Adams is my number five for American Hustle. Number five for me is Amy Adams as well, although I will say she deserves all the flack because this is just fucking terrible. So I pleaded my case. My number four is Meryl Streep for August Osage County. Um, I think she is, you know, living her damn life to the fullest here. Um, it's not exactly my favorite type of Meryl performance, and this movie doesn't quite work for me in the way that it's staged and put together as much as I do find myself enjoying specific moments of it. But um, Meryl is my number four for August Osage County. Well, we're lining up because Meryl is also my number four. However, I'm disqualifying her for category fraud. The reason she isn't in five is because Amy Adams is just, just that bad that I can't imagine putting her not in last. Um, this is an ensemble piece. She's supporting here with the rest of the cast. Um, I will say, if this wasn't category fraud for me, Meryl would have won this category very easily. Um, so, you know, just want to note that, but I do have to disqualify her for category fraud. My number three is Judy Dench in Philomena. I think Judy Dench is delightful in this film, and it's a Judy Dench performance that ought to get more praise than it does. Uh, she goes through many hoops here of uh, humor and heartache and everything in between. But um, she can only make my number three spot, unfortunately, in this lineup. So Judy Dench is number three for Philomena. My number three is also Judy Dench for Philomena. Um, this is wonderful. I think this is a performance that really should be on people's minds more. But the final two, it's just one of those things, do a little bit more for me. So Judy Dench at three. So I've been going back and forth on my one and two quite a bit because I think there's something extraordinary um, going on with both of them. But um, I'm going to go with Sandra Bullock as my runner-up for Gravity. I think she's tremendous here, and it's so much more intricate than I think a lot of people realize. Um, and if she had won here, it would have been a worthy win considering all the behind-the-scenes stuff and how technically precise it all is. But uh, Blanchett uh, is just giving me a little bit more um, in terms of the emotional ups and downs of this character and the humor and the tears and everything. She's really actressing the most here. Um, so uh, Kate Blanchett will be my winner for today, although Sandra Bullock is a very close second. 
We have completely lined up until now. I am giving Kate Blanchett the runner-up, and I'm giving uh, Sandra Bullock the win here. Um, Blanchett is amazing. I really, really do like her here. Um, I think she's a lot of fun, even if her movie isn't great. Bullock, though, is the whole package. I know I preach a lot, and I still stick with it. I'm not contradicting myself on it should be about the performance, not the politics, but this is one of those films where you have to understand the performance as a whole. You have to understand what went into it. You have to understand what you're seeing. You have to understand how it happened. Bullock's performance is everything. Not many actors can pull off a solid 80 minutes of screen time to themselves. Um, I think we'll, you know, we might get there one day if we ever talk about um, the 1975 men lineup. Uh, his name is really skipping on me right now. Uh, but there, there's a performance in that lineup where it's literally a one-man play that is filmed on the stage and he was nominated for it. It's really slipping my mind. Oh, give um, him hell, Harry? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember uh, that guy's name either, but that's the movie. Yeah. And this is one of those where it's worthy of what is happening. Um, Bullock is phenomenal here, much better than her uh, her blindside win. And I kind of would have loved to see what could have happened if she had not won for blindside and it should have gone to Gabby Sidibe, like it should have been. And Bullock possibly could have won this. I honestly think that. So uh, yeah, I gave it to Sandra Bullock for Gravity and Lupita Nyong'o for 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, and I have Kate Blanchett and Lupita Nyong'o. I nailed your guesses. Yeah. So close, so close. Um, count of three, we're going to give a good old goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye. <laughs>